The coronavirus has made many people sick. And if it hasn't made you sick, you're sick of it, right? Because you've heard of it so many times. You're kind of like, oh, how many times am I going to hear about COVID or coronavirus? And it is serious. I don't want to belittle any of it. Uh, but it's taken several lives. Um, it's forced government leaders to make very hard decisions that affect all of us, every one of us. Uh, we've seen uh, shutdowns, layoffs, um, pushbacks, meltdowns. Um, we, we've, we've seen a lot of panic because of it, um, probably more than should be, as uh, it's been made out to be by many people, sources. Um, along with our health, uh, COVID-19 has impacted our, our work, our church, our schools, our homes, our leisure, our sports, I think even our very culture, as now we're all going through this together, kind of forming, shaping, sculpting us as an American culture and how we work through this. Um, all of our plans have changed or rearranged in some way. I, I think I can, I can venture out to say that it has impacted all of our plans, whether that's uh, graduation plans or someone that you know in that category, college campuses making changes, uh, family vacations, weddings, funerals, other family gatherings for important uh, times, uh, personal budgets, anybody? Uh, changing a little bit, um, investments, probably rearranged, um, diversifying a little bit, church ministries, mission trips, date nights, right? Um, how can I get a date night? Um, but uh, with his wife. Uh, and, uh, you know, pro college sports. I mean, what were those, right? Uh, it just seemed like so much has changed in ways where you're like, what are, are we in a dream right now? We're going to wake up. Um, but no, this is reality. And while this particular virus seems to, um, and hopefully it does, lose its strength, um, uh, according to some uh, statistics show that de death rate also compared to its rise in cases um, is, is, uh, um, is not as high. Um, we still live in a hot spot and we still have um, news every week that we're waiting and watching and learning how to uh, be wise in this time. Now, I, I, I kind of bring this up again to just point out that I think everyone's searching for answers there's so many questions and there's so many uncomfortable um, senses in, 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 in our world right now that we can't really iron out. And, uh, you know, whether that's looking for the curve to flatten, if only, right? Uh, a worldwide vaccine, uh, a stronger immune system through uh, healthy living and vitamins. Uh, you know, a, a president... Uh, who's going to make the best decisions for us, uh, a stronger economy. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of putting their stock in different things to go, okay, I just want to hope that this gets us through. Everyone is looking for hope. Everyone is needing hope. We need hope. And I think if there's been anything that's been made evident this year, it is that, that we need hope. And the things that we might have held on to as our hope in the past might have fallen out of our hands by now. And maybe some of those things don't seem so sure to come through for us to be our hope. So this one hope was our youth summer camp theme. It too was canceled. Camp, not the theme, or not, not our hope, right? But, uh, and, and for all who said leading up to the past couple of weeks here, um, you know, I hope camp isn't canceled. Uh, we had to redefine and refocus our hope as well. God is teaching us to not think of hope just as wishful thinking. Uh, in, in fact, uh, um, a definition here, let's see if I can get this to pull up because um, there's not the right thing. It's coming. Okay, it's coming. Um, I do have something very good for you. It's going to be awesome. That'd be great. Um, but uh, it is uh, a definition, really, of what hope is. So we've been working at this over a couple of weeks. Um, hope is, I'm going to give you two A words, okay? Assurance and anticipation. Uh, hope is the assurance and anticipation of God fulfilling his promises. So really, hope has to do with the promises of God. So here it is, one hope. The deliverance from despair. All right, and uh, here it is. Hope is the assurance and the anticipation of God fulfilling his promises in the person of Jesus Christ. This has kind of been youth ministry crafted as we have studied some passages together and, and I have taught and Tim has taught. And uh, this is what, and, and you could test me on this too, but this is what I'm coming up to as far as what is hope. 
It has to do with assurance. This is not wishful thinking. Like, I hope we get this. I hope this happens. I hope this doesn't happen. No, it's certain. It's saying my hope is in this. I, I'm sure of it. I'm certain of it. And it's an anticipation, meaning that it's not something that's already in your hands or something you already have. It's you're anticipating it. Hope is, is hoping for something in the future. That's why we always say, I hope so, right? Because it hasn't come yet. It hasn't revealed whether or not it's going to come through yet. But it's together, assurance and anticipation of what? Well, not of petty things, but of God things. Things that God does, things that God has promised. He's actually given us promises in his word to do certain things and to not allow certain things and to bring certain things in our life that we hold on to. And some of you might be kind of young in your faith to not know what some of those promises are. And so you maybe struggle with hope. Well, tell me, like, what do I have coming for me? If I'm a Christian, then what does that mean for me, right? And this is what we're talking about, that God will and does and is fulfilling his promises because he is faithful and true to his word. And the way he's doing that, and I told the the students this, the bundle package of all the promises of God really are brought together and summed up in this salvation package for you in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. The bottom line in having hope is if you have come to Jesus Christ turning from your sin and maybe all those sinful hopes that you looked to before and you came to Christ admitting your sin and need for a savior, repented of your sin and turned to him and and just trust in him with your life acknowledging that you need him, that he died for your sins and set you free and that his righteousness and not your own is going to get you into heaven, then you have this incredible package of benefits in Christ, not in you. You as a, as a thing before Christ is no longer, but you in Christ, now you have these promises in God's word that give you hope. And so it's this new position that you're in Christ that you have all these promises coming at you every day until your last day. And it just gets better and better. The world, not gonna get better and better. Your promises and their fulfillment to you, oh, better and better. So hope is beautiful. Hope takes faith and says, let's go. Let's go forward, faith. Uh, one person said that, that uh, um, I think I wrote it down here so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, hope is faith in future tense. So we make a big deal of, well, you have to be saved by faith, not by works. And hope is really the future aspect, the future tense of your faith. It's a longing and a looking forward to God being true to his word to us in none other than Jesus Christ. And if you know him, you have hope because he personally is your hope. And he personally secured your hope at the cross. And he personally will make sure that you And your life are guarded and guided to the day when our hope becomes a reality and we enter glory. So who can get excited about definitions, right? Um, I love this definition. I think it really does pull together together, uh, so much of what we have studied over the past couple of weeks and help us understand a little bit of what we're talking about when we see this up on the wall here, one hope. It comes from Ephesians 4.4, talking of our one hope. um, And that all is tied together, as you see there, if you wanted to turn to that verse. But there's a question that's asked, and I could ask it this morning. Who needs hope today? Who needs hope today? Um, I read a little bit by a guy named Jay Adams. He's written some very helpful things, and he provided one list. He said, those with long-standing problems. Those with long-standing problems. Maybe you've failed tests or you have unresolved conflict or some long-standing problem that has, that has really not left you. You need hope. He says, those with peculiar, difficult, peculiarly, it's a peculiarly hard word for me to say, those with peculiarly difficult problems, maybe you, you feel like, oh, I've, I've been born with a genetic disorder or some birth defect or a unique disease, uh, or you're, you're like, man, nobody has bad luck like I do. Just let me tell you for a minute about all the things that have happened to me that I don't think has happened to anybody else. You know, you think, man, it could be some difficult things that you have encountered. Uh, those who have been given bad counsel about their problems in the past, 
Maybe you've had problems and you've gone to help and they've even been professional help or they've been someone who's wanted to help or they've meant well, but they have told you things that are not true. And guess what happens? When you get told counsel that's not true, it ends up being unreliable. And what happens to your hope? It just drops lower and lower. I came to you for help and you're a professional. Why aren't you helping me? And they find the things that are shared with them, like, well, you just need to learn to love yourself. You just need to, God wants you to be happy. Uh, you know, uh, you're the victim here and, and you need to learn to yada, yada, all these things. And you're kind of like, well, wait, I've tried that, but it actually messed things up more. What's, what's going on? Also, those who are harassed by fear, some of you are, you know, bold as they come. Some of you are fearful like a mouse, you know. Uh, maybe it's, you have some reasons you feel like, yeah, in the home, I'm fearful. At work, fearful. At school, I'm afraid. Maybe a particular person makes you fearful. Uh, those whose hopes have been dashed repeatedly in the past. So you've been let down, betrayed, disappointed, um, departed possibly, been let down by somebody. Those who have tried and failed need hope. You say, man, I really wish my career could take off. I really wish this relationship would work. Whatever that is, something at church, tried, failed, and you feel like a failure, and that defines you. Those who are older, and you feel like change is no longer feasible. You know, I've lived long enough. I've tried. I, I'm just past that point now. I can't do it. You feel hopeless. Those who are depressed, you feel like that describes you. I'm a depressed person. I'm melancholy. I'm down a lot of times, inside and out. Those who are suicidal, wanting to give up on life. There's, there's been too many bad things that have happened to you, too many things that you've tried and haven't worked, and you're just done. And that's your out. Taking matters into your own hands. They need hope. Those who have suffered life-shattering experiences, death of someone near to you that you loved, Adultery and ruin, how it's ruined a family, divorce, loss of possessions, possibly a change of position that was unexpected. You have nervous breakdowns. Essentially, those who are without Christ as a whole category need hope. Now, you may not be somebody who walks around with a desperate sense of hopeless uh, sad, sadness and aloneness. That may not be you. And you're thinking kind of like, this is such a gloomy message so far. Um, and, uh, and maybe you've never contemplated suicide. You're like, oh, I know who people who have, but not me. I've never thought about that. You may generally ha be a happy person in uh, a, lot of, a lot of your life. But what I want to put out there in front of you and why you need to stay with me here as we go into Psalm 43 is that if you're down right now, there's hope. And if you're telling me I'm not down right now, I'm not usually down. Say, so, do you know anybody around you who's down? I bet you can think of a handful of people that are super close that you know do fit this description. And I'll also tell you, are you sure about your future to where you know that you can make sure that nothing bad comes your way? No suffering, no persecution, no hardship? You'll say, no. So hardship could be coming your way as well. So this message is for all of us. I think it's funny how all of us pastors who have thought it was clever and maybe even kind of like subtly funny to tell everyone what our 2020 vision was for the year. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, that was a joke. You know, like, <laughs> what pastor could have said, my 2020 vision for the year is, and then explain everything that's happened so far, and we're just in July. Uh, no one saw this coming. Uh, and now 2020 stands for a situation that's got out of control, right? Oh man, that just got 2020 over there. You know, it's, it's like, this is, this is what we're living in, right in the middle of this, this chaos, this panic, this out of controlness, but God is in control. That's what I'm here to tell you. God is our hope in these very uncertain times. In the background of these Psalms, uh, this morning an equipping hour had the youth here and we talked about Psalm 42 and uh, I'm gonna work really hard to try not to say everything that I told them as I reflect back because these two Psalms are really joined together. I believe they were at first written together as one but they have been separated. You'll see how they work together. But the Psalm writer of Psalm 42 and 43, uh, the sons of Korah, um, uh, maybe it was prepared by them, for them, to rehearse, to play. Um, uh, you're thinking in your mind, worship leader. Worship leader who has a 
troubled past. Um, big things happened uh, to Korah, their ancestor, because of him getting in the way of Moses. Um, but Psalm 42 uh, records uh, a lament. It's really down. And it's so dark, in fact, the only real glimmers of hope that are really bright are just two verses out of the 11. Five and 11 are those two verses that you look at and you just see like a little bit of hope, a little bit of brightness. But the rest of the psalm just seems dark and this guy just seems down. He's down and he's out, literally out. There is something that has happened that has caused this worship leader who normally would be in the temple in southern Israel, Judah, where Jerusalem is and the temple is and where he would be almost like where I am right here in front of the musicians that were here in front of you guys speaking to you and, uh, and we're handling God's word and I'm watching your reactions to, to the word, to singing and to encouraging each other, all this going on right in the middle of it. Well, it would be like taking this person out of this spot or this person out of this spot and then taking them away from this. Telling them you can't meet telling him you have to stay home, <laughs> telling him you need to go away. And it could have been, could have been, it doesn't make it clear in here, but it could have been that this worship leader was captured and he was going to be taken away as a slave. And so he was taken very far away, the northern part of Israel. And it could have been that the, there were other reasons that caused him to flee for his life because it says multiple times in Psalm 42 and 43 that there are... Uh, um, his accusers, his uh, uh, adversaries, and they are deceitful and ungodly people that are mocking him. So you just have to kind of have an, an idea of the tone of this psalm. Let me just tell you, Psalm 42 is down so far to where you feel like you can't go down anymore as far as a human experience goes, and yet there's a little sliver of hope that points him forward. And Psalm 42 is kind of the lift it's a little bit more of a lift to where his lament in Psalm 42 turns more into a prayer and a little bit more of a praise in Psalm 43. It was read earlier, so I'm just gonna read the, the first uh, two verses here in, in, uh, in a second as I unpack for you these five anchor truths. So I'm get us to the, the next thing here. Okay, as we talk about being delivered from despair, whether you're in that place yourself or know, know someone who is, what I want to do is give you these five anchor truths about God. Five anchor truths about God that we need to use uh, as we sit in this boat being thrashed by waves uh, to avoid being shipwrecked and so we can find safe harbor one day. Let's look at our, our first anchor truth about God and it comes to us in the first two verses. And I'm, I'm really just read um, the first two but then talk about verse one, Okay. He says this, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. So your first fill-ins, and yes, I think I'm making you fill them in today. So I know you normally get them typed. But uh, got to do a little work here. All right, so God is my defense when I'm dissed. All right, this may not be a word you use, but I think it's a legit word. It um, means put down. Okay, put down. Up to now, the psalmist has been kind of raising a complaint, weeping before God, remembering the past when it was sweet to come together and worship, and he missed those times. And he tried to find hope that way, but now he, he's really taking his downcast soul and he's directly going to God in prayer. And you just look at verse one, you could tell this is a man who has been offended and hurt because he's crying out, calling out, commanding God actually, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So somehow the psalmist feels like he can boss God around. Isn't this interesting? He's commanding God to do something. But you know what? The only time you can actually command God to do something is when it's something he's already said he's going to do. And in fact, he delights to do it. So when you say, God, vindicate me, he says, that's what I'm all about. He's like, yes. Right? You say, God, please deliver me. And he goes, yes, I am your deliverer. I will act. So hope is in the Lord who is this way. So he says, vindicate me, oh God, defend me. Stand up for me. I'm being beaten. 
I have offenders. I need a defender. If you've ever played team sports, uh, mine was soccer, and, uh, and you go out to play, pick up game, let's go play. Who wants to play defense? Nobody wants to play defense. Everybody wants to go score a goal and go, look how I scored, you know? And uh, everyone wants to kick it at the net, try and get it in. You know, like, well, we can't win if we don't have any defenders, guys. So anyways, that's just one of my things. Right. Um, but uh, I, I played defense, a lot of times felt lonely. Um, and here he is saying, look, I'm being offended by these ungodly people, deceitful, meaning they're probably spreading lies about him and filling his, lies, his mind with lies if they could, and unjust, doing all kinds of things that would not be right. And he's saying, God, look, these things are wrong. Deal with them, address them, and vindicate me because they've been attacking me, deliver me. I, I, I think it's fair to say you have been wronged by someone. You have probably been lied to. You've probably been taken advantage of. You might have been abused, betrayed, disowned. Ah, oh, life is messy. People can hurt. But God knows every ounce, He knows every moment. He knows every feeling you felt. He knows you in the depth of your hurt. And so when you cry out to him like the psalmist to vindicate you, to, to deliver you and, and be your defender, he's there. He's with you. He understands. Christ was offended. He was betrayed. He was disowned. He was lied about. He was beaten. He was abused. He knows. You cry out to him in your suffering, to a suffering savior, and he knows how to deliver. That's what he's designed for. That's what he's designed your trial for, is to be delivered, not to stay in turmoil. So this is a cry for God to defend. God is the one, it's his prerogative to defend, and so you would acknowledge that. Only you can do this, God. But this is a prayer. And don't think that prayer is powerless or prayer is, is a last resort. Oh, I've tried these things. I've tried to confront them. I've tried to, you know, fight back with love. You know, I guess now I'll pray. No, 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 That's not how it works. No, no, no. Always praying. Always praying. Praying to God. Looking to him. At any first sign of mistreatment by your enemies or those who would stand against you. And, and prayer shows and tests and builds your faith in your trial, in your suffering. And so prayer is that place to be, and he demonstrates that in verse one. But he keeps going, for you, the God in whom I take refuge, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Here's the second anchor you need. You've got it in your boat. God is my refuge when I'm discarded. Verse two is the reason for why God should vindicate him. You're my refuge. I run to you. I've chosen for you to be my safe place, but right now I don't feel safe. You are my security in life, but I feel insecure. Uh, I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. But God, you are my refuge. Defend me. Deliver me. Because you're the God of my refuge. You are my refuge. You think about, I use this word discarded. It wasn't just reaching for a D word. Um, but <laughs> play, maybe you played some hands of cards uh, throughout quarantine. Um, and, uh, you know, the discard pile is always there with the rejects, right? The ones you don't want, you throw out there. Um, and you don't want to be that one that God takes out of his hand, throws in the reject pile, leaves it for others to pick at and pick over. You want to be held in his hand safely. You want his eye on you always. You want to be useful to him, ready to draw. You want to be close to his chest where he's protecting you. Yeah, I just used a card analogy for you as a person. Uh, this is your refuge, God. God who is your rock, like he talked about in Psalm 42. God who is your salvation, like we'll see here in a minute. He is your refuge. So when you are afraid, when you are exposed, when you are hurt by others, where do you go for refuge? I'm asking you, you need to think. Where do you go for refuge? 
Where are you refuges? Where, where, who do you turn to? Some of you say, man, I tell you, the only way for me is to just go sleep. Is <laughs> to sleep it off. Uh, that's my refuge. My bed is my refuge. I just came across an interesting passage this week, just reading in Job. I think it was chapter seven. You can fact check me. Uh, but Job said that he looked to his bed for comfort. And when he went there, because he had experienced great loss, right? Like hardly any man has ever known. And he went to his bed for comfort. And what did he find? He found bad dreams. I was like, oh, I, can't, I can't even sleep this off. I just want to, I just want to break from life. I just want to, I just want a moment in a quiet place where I can close my eyes and I can just turn the world off. I just want sleep. But, and sleep is good, but if you go to sleep, not longing for, for God in your sleep, you have nightmares. Your soul is still a mess. You still haven't turned to the God of your sleep, the God of your rest. Maybe it's food. You're like, yeah. All right. You know, that, we can be recreational about a lot of things and Houston knows how to be recreational about food, right? You know, and, uh, and man, there's, there's some times where long day, hard day to ourselves, maybe in the car, whatever it is. Oh, I just, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I just want to take my, you know, it'd sound really good right now. You know, <laughs> whatever it is, that meal, that guilty pleasure that you just cram down your pie hole, that thing you just want to drink and, and, and just feel good about. No, that won't do it. That'll only lead to more sorrows in pounds. Uh, is it government? Yeah, maybe uh, you look to government and say, man, the, this world is a mess. I can feel it every day and it's affecting me. It's affecting people I love. If only they would get their act together. If only these decisions would be made. Maybe it's not government. Maybe it's still just on that, on that same theme. It's a person. If my friend would just get it through their head that, or if, my, or if this person in my family would, would stop treating me this way, then I would be fine. But Psalm 118, verses eight and nine say, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take ref refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Okay, okay. God, you are my refuge. Here's big, here's a big, big point for you. Look at verse two again with me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. He declares that he is his refuge. But look what he says almost in the same breath. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. I think the big point and the big takeaway, takeaway here is not, oh, this guy's faith is super weak. Pfft, you know, poor guy. Uh, he needs to figure some things out. He needs to grow up and then maybe he'll come back and then he'll write something worth getting in the Bible. No, he, he declares that God is his refuge. And then he admits that he's just broken and going, God, God, what are you doing? I don't think you don't exist. I know you exist. But why do these things exist in my life? Why is this so hard? God, what, do you care? It's almost like he's asking the question, wrestling with God, knowing the answer. I know you care. It's just hard right now. And so I want to encourage you to wrestle well with God. Don't feel guilty that you ask God hard questions and maybe even struggle with points of theology or, or you look at your emotions and you go, are these even right emotions? Or you look at your circumstances and you go, God, why these circumstances? And you wrestle, that's okay. So long as you're certain, you are certain that he is your refuge. And in that place, you struggle, but you struggle with him. And you're gonna see that he does lift. He doesn't stay down. He doesn't stay in an accusatory tone. He's just struggling. And it's good to know that God judges justly and you can continue to entrust your fragile life to him. Third anchor is that God is my leader when I am distant. When I'm distant, look at verse three. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Just pause there for a moment. God is leading with his light. God is leading with his truth. And that's what he asks for. Again, another command. God, I'm gonna give you an imperative. You need to obey me. And what does he say? Send me your light. 
Send me your truth. Let them lead me. God looks at that and goes, oh, yes, that's a great idea. In fact, I have a plan. It's a Messiah. He will be your light. He will be the truth. He will be the way. I will send him. He will go before you. When you're so down and broken, you'll look, just turn your eyes to Jesus and you'll find so much strength. You'll find so much hope. You know, he knows my pain. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows way more than I'm what I'm feeling. That's a beautiful command to give the Lord as you wrestle, as you're in pain, as you're depressed or helping someone. Send your light. Why? Because I'm in darkness right now. I can't see which way is up right now. I'm, I'm inside. Yeah, I can see light outside, but inside, if you were to get in my head, it's dark in there. There's things that I don't want other people to know because it's just dark in there. Oh, there's so many false things being said around me by people who hate me, by me who's struggling. Send out your truth. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me to know the mess mangled in my head of what is being said. I need something to iron it all out and make it clear, make it straight. Lord, your truth. Please, send it. And what does he say? He says, let them, the light and the truth, bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So again, this is a worship pastor who is kicked out of the house of gathering. This is someone who would lead the people in worship to God in festival and in loud shouts of joy and, and everybody proceeding to go together, chanting the word, thinking about truth. And you're just finding so much joy just being with each other, built up by the faith around you. And he's saying, send me back into that place. I'm too far from home right now. I'm out of place. I feel distant. It's almost kind of like he's, he's saying, Lord, you're enough for me, but I just feel out of bounds sometimes. I, I, I feel distant from you. I know you're not far from me, but I feel distant from you. He's working through that and he longs to be gathered together again with the people. And, and again, I just wanna point you to that really forward-looking, anticipating the promises of God for you in Christ, whether you're an Old Testament saint like this dude or someone in the church right now who is looking at a verse like this and you're longing to be with him on his holy hill and to be in God's dwelling. Revelation 21, three Listen to this beautiful passage. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's what he wanted. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Like almost like Garden of Eden again. He, he'll, he'll walk and talk with us. He'll, he'll set up his dwelling here with us forever. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Has this guy shed any tears? Oh, they were his food. They were his drink, he cried so much. His pain hurt so much. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, all kinds of pain, every type of pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Are you struggling this morning? It's only for a moment. Just keep perspective, keep perspective. It's only for a moment. And Christ has actually come to dwell among us when he came at his first coming so that he could secure this eternal hope for us. So cry out to Jesus, bring me to your holy hill. Lead me by your light and your truth and I will follow. Fourth anchor that you need so you don't get thrashed, so you make it to that shore safely is that God is my joy when I'm down, when I'm down. Check this out. He says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy and I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. 
a beautiful verse. I want to I want to get back to the place that you have set up, God, on the earth, the one place that you've chosen to reveal yourself, the one place where God and man are supposed to come together in the temple. I want to go back to that place. I want to be there and when I get there, I will go to the altar. Does this guy just like killing sheep? No. He wants to go to the altar because that reminds him time and time and time again that there is another creature taking the payment for his sin. Animal sacrifices are offered to show that this should be your blood shed for your sins, but it's not. That's hope, that's gospel, that's a reminder of grace. That's a reminder in the Old Testament that there is a a final lamb, a Passover lamb who's coming, Jesus, and it's not an altar anymore that you put the sheep upon and then run the blade over its neck and watch the blood pour out, but it's, it's another bloody place. It's the cross, and you look to the cross and you go, I, I want to go to be with God and his people and I want to go to the cross. I want to go to that place because when I go to the cross, what does he say next? To God, my exceeding joy. You're like, joy? Death? Death brings you joy? Weird, right? But not weird, okay? He goes to the cross and what does he see there? But a savior, a deliverer, someone who has taken all of your shame and guilt and pain and sin and took it upon himself and said, no longer do you need to feel and be and act and think that you are condemned for your sin. It's on me and I have died. Look at my blood, see my hands, my side, my face, my back, my feet. This was for you. You're pardoned. You're forgiven. Oh, tell the depressed soul how forgiven they are in Christ. Point them to the altar, to the cross. Tell them about what happened there in that transaction, that not only did their sins get taken off of them and canceled totally at the cross, but the righteousness of Christ, which was demonstrated in his obedience all the way to death, completed obedience, is now yours, as if that's your righteousness. And then that should change things a little bit for you. You will look at your trials differently. You'll look at your past abuses differently. You'll look at what is difficult in your life differently. And you will find a kind of joy. I just think it's so interesting that he says exceeding joy. I remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He became exceedingly sorrowful. Oh, he was broken. He was so like, he knew he had to drink the cup of God's wrath. This suffering was coming and he was praying about it. But he knew the cup had been filled by his father's hand. He knew this was something he had to go through. And so it wasn't because of shame or, or against, anything against his will, but he went for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. I just love to see the mingling of joy and pain in, this, in a verse like this or even in thinking of Christ and the hope that we have as we look to the altar that was the final altar of sacrifice, the cross. To God, our exceeding joy. Do you know God is your exceeding joy or is he your kill joy? Do you think of God as someone who's just made a bunch of rules that just tell you not to have fun? God to rob you of all the things that you really want to do, but he's saying no to all of them. Oh, that would be so sad if that was the image that you had of God in your head because you don't know God. That's not him. That's the wrong God of the Bible. The God, the true God of the Bible, his name is Jesus Christ. And he came to you. And when he came to you, you looked at him and looked upon him and you saw what he said and did and you, it resonated with you as truth. He, is, he was your light. It shone into your darkness. You realized what you'd live for and you said, no, I'm following him. And he went to the cross and he said, that's what life's gonna be like. Follow me to the cross. You go, wait, let me get this straight. If I'm gonna follow you, it means that I'll have continual cross bearing all the days of my life but I'll be with you all the way through. You'll be with me. 
and there's glory? He says, yes. It's, it's suffering before it's glory. Too many Christians just want the good and the glory. They don't want any suffering. You don't have Christ that way. He didn't live that way. You're following the wrong Jesus, the wrong God. Follow the one who absolutely poured himself out for the good of sinners and know that your life is gonna be filled with the pouring out of yourself for the good of sinners. And glory is so close. You're, you're like Paul in Acts 27, trying to make way in the ship to land. They keep dropping lines, realizing the ground is coming soon. This, this storm is heavy. We're gonna die. They're dropping anchors. I know eventually they'll get to safe land. And that just seems to be like what life is for us. We're just like, which one of these waves in my life is going to just totally capsize me and destroy me? And yet we know glory is the shore right in front of us. Yeah, there's clouds everywhere, clouds inside, and we can't see. The storm is raging, yes. But you're so close to glory, hang in there. And he's gone before you. He's your exceeding joy. You guys, joy comes because you have hope in him. You don't have joy if you don't have hope in him. That's why he can say this. He has that perspective. So even when you feel down, even when you feel thrashed, even when you feel afflicted in every way, you're not crushed, perplexed. You're not driven to despair, persecuted. You're not forsaken, struck down. You are not destroyed. You can count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's what you're called to do. All right, fifth, final point. God is my hope when I'm depressed. Look at that last verse, and this is the one that is probably most instructive about uh, what, what you need to do in regards to your cry out, not just to God, but to yourself. Verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So we need to know here that God is our hope even when we're depressed, even if we're depressed, even if we're feeling down or things are going on in our life where we just feel so desperate or despondent. What we need to do is take our own soul into hand and say, nah, you're not going another inch that way. You're going to, to God. That's where you're going. One of the things we see here as he commands himself to do this is a repetition. Look back at Psalm 42, verse five. Psalm 42, verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? He says it there. Same verse, same words. Again, at the end of 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Each time he recognizes as he talks to his own soul that he's down and he needs to hope in God. And so he commands himself, his soul, his own soul, hope in God. This is a personal hope. It's hope in a person. It's not hope in an idea. It's not hope in a new set of circumstances. It's, it's hope in God. I just think this is a very interesting verse. It's one of those verses that helps us kind of think through a little bit um, how we can motivate ourselves to change. Think about the people who motivate you to change the most. Think about the most influential person in your life. Who is it and why? Well, it's probably the person who lived before you long enough to have a most remarkable impact and influence on you. It's probably someone who lived a life worth following. It's probably someone who spoke to you things that helped you. It's probably someone who was there for you when you needed them to be. You start thinking about how you can be influenced by other people. But let me, let me venture out to say that the most influential person in your life is you. You're thinking, what? This is, this is weird. Well, think about it. You, you're the most influential person to yourself because nobody talks to you more than you do. 
From the, day, from the time you get up, you're constantly involved with this inner, internal conversation. You hit the snooze, you go, just one more time, I'm tired. You hit the snooze again, oh, last night was too late. You get up and you, and you kind of drag yourself to the coffee pot or to the shower or to whatever you do in the morning and you just have these thoughts that come at you. Where are they coming from? Did the alarm clock do it to you? No, they're in here, you're responsible. Thought, 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 and you just go, autopilot. You get in, the, you get in your car, you're headed to, to work. I'm gonna be a few minutes late. That means I'm gonna have this conversation with my boss I don't wanna have, or oh, this means this, and you have all these thoughts, 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 going, going, going. Who's in the car with you? No one. Just you, talking to yourself, all these thoughts just coming. And you have to just pause for a second and go, wait a minute, what have I just been thinking for the past hour and a half? What, what, what kind of conversation have I been having and, and how has that impacted how I'm feeling right now? Or maybe you're, you're gonna do what he does here and he gets out in front of it and he sees his own soul and he says to his soul to stop telling him the things that are coming at him. And he has this, I said it earlier, like with the youth, almost feels like out of body, but in body experience looking at yourself going, why are you so downcast? Why are you so down? Why are you so sad, Kyle? Why such turmoil inside? What caused this? Where did this come from? Why are you wrestling so hard? Why do you feel so sad? What what are you holding on to? You just start addressing yourself. I think it was uh, um, possibly Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, who recommended, and I liked what he said. He, he said that instead of listening to yourself, you need to talk back to yourself. And I've probably said this before, and you've probably heard this before. But if you think about it, this is probably one of the best ways that you can fight back depression. He says this, Lloyd-Jones, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. Later, he says, I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. He says this, the main art in the manner of, sorry, matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way, and then you go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man of this psalm, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Is there a cure for depression? Yes, no matter what its cause, the cure is not found in us, it's found in God. The cure is to seek God's face so our face will no longer be downcast like it can be so long, so often. To close, I wanna tell you about this guy named William Cooper. His name is spelled like Cowper, if you wanna look him up. But William Cooper was one of the church's greatest hymn writers, a person mightily used by God. But this gifted composer was not without frequent bouts of discouragement and, and depression. The first attacks of despair struck him when he was a young man. He was admitted to St. Albans Insane Asylum, where he made several attempts to commit suicide. One of the doctors gave Cooper a Bible and he began to read it. In learning of the grace of God, he put his trust in Christ and was gloriously saved. A year after his conversion, Cooper left the asylum and met the famous John Newton, which some of you may know. He became his pastor and close friend. Newton and Cooper collaborated to publish a hymnal that included many cherished songs, including Newton's Amazing Grace and Cooper's God Moves in, mysterious, in a Mysterious Way, and There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. But in spite of his conversion and expanding ministry, Cooper still struggled with attacks of depression. 
These often left him discouraged to the point of desiring death. His attacks of depression drove Cooper to pursue God more deeply. Out of this soul-wracking experience, he wrote his famous hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, a song that expresses an unwavering trust in God. The hymn stands as a testimony to the renewed strength and comfort his troubled heart found in God. Here was a man who experienced great disappointment in life, but he learned to trust God. And this is what it says. You've heard this probably before. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. It was from the Holman Bible Commentary. And another example of someone who gives us hope that when we feel like we're at rock bottom, that may be the best place to be for us to realize and see what God is doing in our suffering. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for verses, chapters, psalms, songs, hymns, sermons, quotes, writings. Oh Lord, we're so thankful that you have not left us without light, without truth. But in fact, they lead us. And this morning I'm praying and hoping that many here who are down, feeling despondent, or maybe in a kind of darkness of their own, or they know someone who is, Lord, that they would be able to look to you, tell their soul to look to you, find hope in you, see the light and the truth that are in Jesus Christ, to go to that altar, that bloodied altar of God and to find there, yes, a crucified, and yes, a risen Savior, but in it our exceeding joy. Lord, if we're down, we know that we'll praise you again. If we're far, we know that we are not actually far. And if, we know, if our emotions are a mess, Lord, we know that your truth will iron all that out. And Lord, in the big picture, glory could not come soon enough. We long to be with you, close to you, no longer thrashed, but safe on the shores of glory. Lead us there soon and be our hope till then. In your name, amen.